0: Welcome back to the Homestyle MMA podcast, Sean Van Buren here for episode 29. Shout out to all the homies checking this out right now, I appreciate all of you. Today we're talking about the upcoming UFC fight night, Thompson versus Holland. Before we dive into that, it's time for the rapid recap of the 2022 PFL Championships that took place last Friday. Let's get it. Honestly, what an incredible night of fights. Six fighters walked away with world championship belts and, more importantly, $1 million each. I love the PFL, their format, the stakes that they have in these final fights do not get any higher in mixed martial arts. Let's dive into it. We start off with Biagio Ali Walsh versus Tom Grazier. Depending on where you looked, this fight either was or was not listed, so we didn't cover it on the podcast last week, therefore. Not going to spend a ton of time on it here. I'll just tell you that Biagio Ali Walsh won by first-round knockout. Dakota Decheva versus Catherine Kordogenis. We knew that Decheva was a world-class kickboxer, and she got the legs going very early in this fight. She would also switch stances frequently, really just looking as comfortable as could be in the striking exchanges. Kordogenis worked hard to keep this fight in tight with the clinch to try to minimize the length and striking advantages of Decheva, but unfortunately she was in bottom position when they hit the mats. Once back on the feet, Dakota Decheva landed a massive right hook square to the chin of Korojenis, as Korojenis was actually backing up, and Decheva got the first round knockout win. Magomed Magomed Karimov versus Gleason Tabao. This fight started off a bit slow, particularly because Tabao only threw five total strikes after two minutes of action and only one leg kick landed out of those strikes. Magomed led the exchanges every time, which led to a higher striking output. Magomed was just slightly more active to easily win round one. The fighter performance rating actually had the first round very close, but watching it live, it really didn't seem like it was. The same style of fighting continued in round two, with Magomed throwing strikes first, and being just a bit more active than Tabao. Magomed started to put some damage on the lead eye of Tabao as well with his volume strikes. And Tabao, you know, he struggled a little bit in this fight. He got a nice takedown to start round three and almost took the back of Magomed, but he was able to scramble back up to his feet to safety. That was really the only time Magomed, Magomed Karimov, was really threatened in this fight. Magomed continued to outstrike Tabao on the feet, which is where the majority of this fight took place and Magomed Magomed Karimov won this fight by unanimous decision. Nathan Schultz versus Jeremy Stevens. I kind of told you what was going to happen in this fight, guys. It was a brawl right from the jump. They were standing, throwing strikes right in front of each other. But when Nathan Schultz wanted to win, he would go for the takedown. So once they were standing, striking, brawling for a little bit, Schultz then went for the takedown, and I knew he would get it. I knew Jeremy Stevens would not be able to stop him. He was a significantly... There was just a big gap difference in their wrestling skill. And once Jeremy Stevens was taken down, it was just bad news for him. I thought that Nathan Schultz had a huge advantage in wrestling in the ground game. And Schultz went for an arm triangle submission within a minute and a half into this fight. That choke got extremely tight. But Stevens, I mean, he is a bad man. He fights for as long as he can kept on fighting. He's very tough to put away, so he survived the round. But Nathan Schultz completely dominated round one, going for multiple submissions, ground and pound finishes, and always in the dominant position. To me, Nathan Schult was relentless for a 10-8 win in round one, and he immediately got back to takedowns to start round two, where he was quickly back in top position and back yet again dominating Jeremy Stevens. Nathan Schult got the second round arm triangle victory with really minimal damage taken. And just not a great showing for Jeremy Stevens, who has seemed to struggle a little bit in the PFL. Shaman Morace versus Marlon Morace. I told you this last week on the podcast, guys. I had concern entering this fight that ultimately came to be true, I believe. Marlon Morace had retired from MMA after suffering multiple knockout losses in a row in the UFC. And the PFL brought him back out of retirement, I think, without any evidence of this, I think they just paid him a ton of money. And it was one of those things where he was prepared to put down the gloves and walk away from MMA, but the PFL said, here's a giant bag of money if you come fight for us. And ultimately, he took the money, and that's just not a good enough reason to fight, because your body and health can only take so much punishment we will say, Marlon looked pretty big at 145 pounds. We'd seen him at 135 in the UFC, and 145 looked like a better weight class for Marlon. Marlon still looked as fast as ever with his striking. He got a takedown early in round one as well with some top control time. Marlon Marais has always been an extremely fast kickboxer, and that is still true to this day as evident, as evident in this fight. Marlon won round one. I want to be very clear, Marlon Marais is still an outstanding fighter. But when you've fought for as long as he has, you've been in as many wars as he has, it just doesn't matter how good you are with your striking, how good you are with your martial arts right now, if your body can't keep up. Marlon got another takedown in round two, earned himself even more top position control time, constantly earning points. Once back on the feet, Marlon Marais dropped Shaman with a strong punch momentarily as well. I mean, he really was looking great. He did a great job with his balance and his footwork. Always be in position to counter strike. I thought that Marlon had a 10 8 round in round two as well. And at one point, he swelled to as much as minus 2,100 with the live odds favorite in the second round. Marlon showed that, like I said, he's still an incredibly talented fighter. when your body has been beaten so much just over the years, like his has, it can, a long career is just not, it's just, it's hard. MMA is tough. And guys never really know when to walk away. Unfortunately, this was another situation here when we entered round three. In an incredible comeback, Shaman Marais landed a strong left jab, followed by an overhand right that dropped Marlon. Shaman Marais jumped on him and ended the fight by ground and pound for the third round knockout win. And what was a come from behind win? I really thought Marlon Marais was going to absolutely win on the judges' scorecards, probably fairly handily. But the guy's taking a lot of shots to the head. That's another knockout loss for Marlon Morris. He's still a great fighter, but you have to know when to walk away when your body has had enough, and I do hope he takes that into consideration as he thinks about his future in the PFL. That got us to our championship fights, though. It was an exciting build-up to these fights when we started off with Robert Wilkinson versus Omari Akhmadov. This was a bloody, violent fight while it lasted. Robert Wilkinson lived up to his nickname of Razor, because he bloodied up Akhmedov in one round so much that it looked like he just poured a bucket of blood all over Akhmedov. I mean, Akhmedov was just gushing blood. But Omar Akmedov's a great fighter. He came out throwing a very hard low leg kick, but Wilkinson fired one right back. Wilkinson was throwing some uppercuts to counter the takedown attempts of Akhmedov, and he caught Omari coming in a few times with that really powerful uppercut. It was really, I thought... A pretty even fight through the first half of the first round, but then Wilkinson started to find a home with a lot of his punches. He was very accurate with his hooks and uppercuts, and he would also blitz forward with straight jab punches as well. So if Arkmedov was retreating straight backwards, Wilkinson would just blitz forward at him, throwing straight punches. That would find Marak Arkhmadov, since he was just moving straight back. They were finding their mark. Wilkinson dominated the middle of the cage, kept forward pressure to not let Akmedov get any breaks. Robert Wilkinson, he did have a pretty large reach advantage, and it became evident in this fight, Akhmedov would throw a lot of punches that were just falling short. They weren't reaching all the way because he couldn't cover the distance, cover the gap that they had in their reach. Wilkinson started to unload punches with 30 seconds left. It was a very exciting round as Wilkinson ended it with a flying right knee right before the bell that actually busted the nose of Akhmedov. And round two saw these two warriors continuing to engage in an absolute slugfest of violent striking. Robert Wilkinson's combo striking in round two was on point. He really started to bust up Akhmedov. Akhmedov shot for a takedown and Wilkinson timed it right to connect with another knee. When they hit the mats after that exchange, Robert Wilkinson finished in top position and scored some points before standing back up. This was just, I mean, it was a fantastic war between two very skilled fighters. With two minutes left in the round, Robert Wilkinson really began to unload his punches and knees to bust up the face of Akhmedov. The knee from Wilkinson at this point of the fight just split Akhmedov's head open with the cut over his right eye. Wilkinson saw blood in the water. He went hunting after that cut to continue busting up Akhmedov. Blood was just gushing from Akhmedov's face by the end of round two as he took multiple uppercuts and knees to end that round. It was a phenomenal fight, but Robert Wilkinson won this phenomenal battle when the doctors stopped it after round two due to just the amount of blood that was leaking from Akhmedov's face. I told you guys on last week's episode, I liked Akhmedov all year long. I like him to continue in the PFL, but Robert Wilkinson showed that he is an absolute warrior, and that is why we jumped off the Akhmedov train once we got to this matchup our first $1 million champion of the night, Robert Wilkinson. That took us to our next matchup, Sadabu C versus Delano Taylor. These were some super long welterweights. Sai used a kick-heavy attack in round one, and he's a world-class kickboxer, so we knew that he would use many kicks to strike from range. I thought Sadabu won round one with his kicking attack. Round two is fairly similar to round one with a heavy kicking attack from Sadabu C, and Delano Taylor... He did start to get going just a bit more, and he tried to get some takedowns, but really had no success. He never really got the ball rolling in this fight. Delano Taylor was fighting the fight that Sadabusi wanted, and Sadabusi was point-fighting his way to winning the second round. Delano Taylor went for another takedown to start round three, but wasn't able to finish it, and the fight was back to fighting on the feet from distance. Sadabusi is very skilled at kickboxing from distance. That is his specialty, and he was able to force the fight there time and time again. The style of this fight never really changed. Sadabusi was slightly more active fighting from distance. And each round, C was able to keep the fight at range. I think it may be because Sadabu C fights as a point fighter. But his style, I've really just not enjoyed much throughout the year. I've picked him to lose many times and he's proved me wrong many times. So what does my opinion really matter? Because Sadabu C point fought his way to $1 million in a championship belt by beating Delano Taylor by decision. At the end of the day, you do what you need to do to become a millionaire as a fighter. C made sure to do just enough, more than his opponent to get the win, and that's really what he did all year long. Olivier Albin Mercier versus Stevie Ray. I was very excited for this fight because I thought that it had a lot of potential to be very exciting. OAM was throwing with a lot of power to start this fight, both with leg kicks and punches. Stevie Ray got a body lock tie-up against the cage two minutes into round one, and OAM knew that he had to keep his feet because Stevie Ray is lethal on the ground. OAM was able to escape, roll off the cage, get, get his back to a uh, center of the cage, back to a safe position, and get back to the powerful striking. OAM was throwing extremely hard, low calf kicks early in this fight, and you had to wonder if Stevie Ray would be able to stand for a potential five-round fight if he kept taking kicks that hard. With two minutes left in round one, OAM kicked Stevie Ray so hard that it actually dropped him to the ground momentarily. Another low kick later in the round resulted in the same knockdown scored by OAM. Round one pretty clearly went to OAM. Round two started with Stevie Ray catching a kick from OAM and working to the back. It's so a very interesting change of pace. OAM, kick, kick, kick. It was working, working, working. Round two, Stevie Ray catches the kick, works to the back. Uh-oh. Uh, Ray then got a takedown, was able to get the back of OAM on the ground. And that's just not where you wanted to be when facing Stevie Ray. Stevie Ray really put the pressure on early to start round two. Stevie Ray was working positioning and ground and pound while controlling OAM on the ground. And Olivier Albin-Mercier eventually worked his way to the feet. He was able to spin off the cage to create separation. At this point, Stevie Ray was running away with round two, but with only 20 seconds left in the round, OAM landed a quick, short, check right hook that went around the guard of Stevie Ray and caught him on the chin. OAM earned the walk-off second-round knockout win, $1 million, and a world championship. That followed our... Only non-championship, non-million-dollar fight on the pay-per-view, Aspen Ladd versus Julia Bud. Aspen Ladd caught a leg kick in round one of Julia Budd, worked that into a takedown, but Julia Budd rolled through the takedown and almost turned it into a positive position for herself, but then Aspen Ladd was able to maintain back control and flow on the ground. This fight, very not even on the ground at all, Aspen Ladd dominated the wrestling exchanges and really, that was just the problem for Julia Budd. I thought Julia Budd did well in the striking, but Aspen Lad was able to wrestle her just a little bit more. She made sure to dominate the positions on the ground while also landing ground to pound strikes. So she won round one Aspen Lad. And it was just a wrestling heavy fight, like I said. And Aspen Lad is more skilled in the wrestling. And that it was all just a little bit surprising to me. Aspen Ladd was going up in weight from her departure from the UFC. Julia Budd going down in weight from her regular season lightweight participation. I thought that she Julia Budd would be larger on fight night. And I thought that her size would assist her in the wrestling exchanges. And I just didn't see much of that. Aspen Ladd got the win via split decision and what was ultimately an extremely close fight. I think Julia Budd needed to keep this fight standing more if she really wanted to win. Back to our championship matchups. And really back to the excitement, Ante Delija versus Mateus Scheffel. These heavyweights were sizing each other up to start the fight, throwing one power shot at a time while they measured distance and worked on their timing. Halfway through round one, Ante Delija shot for a takedown and forced the action into the clinch against the cage. Scheffel was able to work himself into separation by rolling off the cage, but Ante Delija landed a powerful left hook that stumbled back Scheffel DeLiha chased him into the cage, unleashed a flurry of punches, including multiple uppercuts that all found their mark, dropped Mateus Sheffel, and Ante DeLiha won the $1 million via first-round knockout, and he was now a PFL champion. That took us to our co-main event of the night, Brendan Lofnane versus Bubba Jenkins. We knew that this would be an outstanding fight prior to last Friday, and I would say it lived up to expectations. Brendan Loughnane did a great job with his movement and kept switching stances to make it harder for Bubba Jenkins to dive in for a single leg takedown. As we knew, Bubba Jenkins is an outstanding wrestler, collegiate level champion wrestler, so Brandon Loughnane made sure to use movement to help him defend against potential takedowns. Brendan Loughnane also used low leg kicks very effectively to start this fight and throughout this fight to work on weakening the base of Bubba Jenkins. Jenkins had some nice striking in round one, though, and he made sure to follow up his strikes with takedown attempts, which was a very intelligent fighting maneuver. Throw in some strikes, get the guy backing up, grab the leg while they're backing up. Lofnane did a great job beating up the legs of Jenkins in round one, but Bubba Jenkins was firing back with some strong hooks that were connecting cleanly to the face of Lofnane. Very close round. This is the fight that I wanted to see, just a really close, great battle and actually gave round one to Bubba Jenkins. Really could have gone either way. It was just a great round, great start for this fight that already had high expectations. Both fighters were headhunting with their strikes as well. Lofnane would be the only one who'd kind of mix in those low leg kicks, but otherwise they were both throwing punches to the head area only, entering into round two. The jab from Bubba Jenkins was hitting well in that round, but his beat-up calf was taking away a lot of his power and Brendan Loughnane did not allow Jenkins to take any breaks. He kept beating up the legs, very intelligent fighting from Brendan Loughnane. Bubba Jenkins has, as a wrestler, he still has some super strong power in his hands. So Brendan Loughnane beat up the lead leg of Bubba Jenkins and made sure he took away some of that power early on in this fight. Bubba tried to get a takedown in round two, but Loughnane was able to stuff it, and I was shocked so far to see how well Brendan Loughnane was defending takedowns. If Bubba couldn't get takedowns, then I wasn't sure that he could stand and strike with Lofnane for five rounds with how much Brendan Lofnane was beating up that calf of Jenkins. Brendan Lofnane used some pretty nice striking combos, I think, to win round two. And Jenkins came out in round three a little more active with his striking. I think he knew he probably dropped that round. Round one was close. Brendan Lofnane continued to move and circle out of the way of the strikes efficiently while also firing back combos of his own. Both fighters were pretty beat up in round three, and this was just a great matchup. I mean, both fighters were fighting hard for their shot at the million dollars through three rounds. Bubba Jenkins, the collegiate champion wrestler, had not been able to take down Brendan Lofnane in round three. Lofnane, he threw a ton of punches, and in the last minute of the round, he looked like the fresher fighter, entering into round four. So I did give that round to Brendan Lofnane. In round four, we had another $1 million winner and a new champion. Halfway through round four, Brendan Lofnane landed a strong, straight overhand right punch that stumbled Bubba Jenkins to the ground. Lofnane jumped on top and won via fourth round knockout. Last fight of the night came the highly anticipated main event of Kayla Harrison versus Ladissa Pacheco. Homies, I told you last week what would happen. I told you on this podcast, I hope you listened. For now, let's recap this fight. Harrison came out very bouncy on her feet, lots of movement. Pacheco came out in a low stance, a little cautious, as I'm sure that she was very concerned with takedowns. Kayla Harrison is an Olympic gold medalist wrestler, you have to be concerned with takedowns. Kayla Harrison was perfect on her takedown attempts leading up to this fight. And unfortunately for Pacheco, her worries were confirmed when Harrison got the takedown a minute and a half into this fight. Kayla Harrison had heavy top position. Landed a continuous ground and pound. What was interesting throughout this fight is that Pacheco was throwing punches from the bottom. And every now and then she'd land them with pretty good force. But Kayla was able to generate much more force from the top position, of course. You're punching down, you have gravity on your side. Um, But Pacheco, sneakily, very active from the bottom with her punching. Kayla Harrison never let Pacheco off the ground to win round one. And with the start of round two... Pacheco showed why she is such a feared striker on the feet. She kicked Harrison's legs out from under her and landed a powerful punch all within the first 30 seconds of this round that actually got Kayla bleeding just a little bit. Larissa Pacheco stuffed a takedown attempt from Harrison in round two, and that must have been a huge confidence booster. Harrison went for another takedown, and Pacheco went for a submission guillotine choke that she actually almost locked in. Pacheco almost got the submission when in round two, but Kayla Harrison rolled on the ground. She scrambled. During that scramble, Pacheco was actually able to work her way into top position momentarily before they came back to the feet. It was an exciting round as Pacheco showed that her wrestling had improved and that she was going to be active on bottom position on the ground. She was going to go for submissions if she was going to get taken down. She was going to continue to throw punches even if she was on the bottom. Pacheco threw some outstanding striking combos in round two that had Kayla Harrison scrambling and sprawling for takedowns. I'm going to be honest, I gave round two to Pacheco. might have been one of the first rounds Kayla Harrison has ever lost as a pro. In round three, Harrison went for a takedown, and Pacheco timed a knee perfectly to hit Harrison in the face on the way in. But guys, Kayla Harrison, just an absolute warrior. She fought through it, finished the takedown to get top position. They were battling really hard on the ground, and Pacheco even had a very close triangle choke attempt from the bottom on Kayla Harrison. Pacheco was very active on the ground with throwing strikes, like I mentioned. Kalo got out of the triangle, flowed on the ground, kept constant top pressure on Pacheco. So I have Harrison round three. But this fight was very exciting. It was not going how I think a lot of people planned. I think a lot of people thought Kayla Harrison gets this fight to the ground. Kayla Harrison finishes the fight. Pacheco showed she had a lot of fire in her. She was ready to go for submission. She was ready to punch from the ground. Hammer fist from the ground. She had a lot of fight in her, and this was a very exciting fight through three rounds. Both fighters were being pushed to their limits, and in round four, Harrison went for another takedown, and Pacheco went for the guillotine choke again, this time with much less success. Pacheco was, however, able to get back up to her feet and get on top of Harrison when Harrison shot for another takedown. Pacheco spun around the back of Harrison, went for a rear naked choke. The battle was back and forth with these warriors, Pacheco has really dramatically improved her wrestling and jiu-jitsu for this fight. She was able to flow with Kayla Harrison through many of these wrestling exchanges on the ground, and even ended up in top control with a minute left in round four after executing a jiu-jitsu reversal. Pacheco was still throwing extremely hard in round four as well. She has that power that we're all very familiar with at this point. And I gave Pacheco round four, all evened up, entering the final fifth round. With $1 million on the line. Harrison was desperately trying to get takedowns in round five, trying to wrestle her way to a win, but Larissa Pacheco was just raining down punches, hammer fists to the head of Harrison, while she was holding on to Pacheco's leg. Pacheco eventually punched Kayla Harrison to the ground, worked her way to the back momentarily before Kayla reversed the position, and got top control. Super exciting fifth round. Really super exciting fight. As you guys can tell while I'm talking about this fight, it was back and forth, back and forth, each woman getting an advantage, losing it. It was really exciting on the ground. They were both giving it their all to just do anything they could to get an advantage and edge over their opponent. One trend that Pacheco had all fight long, like I said, throwing strikes up from the bottom when she would get taken down, and she was really landing those accurately from those positions. I know it's crazy, guys, but I gave round five to Larissa Pacheco, and the judges gave it to Larissa Pacheco for a new $1 million champion and the first loss of Kayla Harrison's career. I told you last week that Pacheco had been building back up to this rematch. This was the fight that she wanted. Larissa Pacheco got the fight and got her revenge with the win by decision. Unbelievable year for MMA this year. So many underdogs. This was another huge underdog win for Larissa Pacheco. At least we were on the right side of this one. (laughs) Let's go ahead and take a look at our bets. That wraps up the Rapid Recap. Hopefully you are with the podcast on our bets for this PFL Friday, but we'll start with the PFL Showcase matchups. Dakota Decheva versus Catherine Kotogenis. We had Dakota Decheva by finish minus 115 for the win. Magomed, Magomed karimov versus Gleason Tabao. We we had Magomed, Magomed karimov by decision minus 127 for the win. Nathan Schult versus Jeremy Stevens. We had Nathan Schult by decision for minus 137. That was a loss as he was able to finish that fight. I knew Nathan Schult was going to win, but he was just such a huge favorite. We had to try to pick the method. We picked wrong there. Shaman Marais versus Marlon Marais. We had Shaman Morais money line minus 145 also for the win. Heading into the PFL Championship pay-per-view matchups, Robert Wilkinson versus Omari Akhmedov. We had Robert Wilkinson by finish minus 132 for the win. Sadabusi versus Delano Taylor. We went with the underdog here. We went Delano Taylor money line plus 145 for the loss. Just got outpointed for a full five rounds. I don't know, well earned Sadabusi. I'm just not a huge fan of his fight style. Uh, Olivier Albin Mercier versus Stevie Ray. I had OAM to win by decision minus 106. That was a loss. OAM did win. He won by finish. This is another one where he was kind of a larger favorite. I wanted to try to get some closer money odds, so we went with by decision. OAM did get the win. Aspen Lad versus Julia Budd. We went with Julia Budd plus 175. That was a loss by split decision, so I feel okay about that loss. We took a chance on an underdog that ended up being a pretty close fight. Ante Delija versus Mateu Scheffel. We had Ante Delija by finish, minus 134 for our going back for more two-unit bet win. Brendan Lofnane versus Bubba Jenkins. Tried for another dog here, went with Bubba Jenkins, money line plus 155 for the loss. That was just such a great matchup. I thought that, you know, that was more of a money, a value play, I should say, almost. Bubba Jenkins at plus 155. I thought that was a coin flip fight. Ended up being pretty good, pretty close up until the end. So I really don't regret that bet at all, going for the underdog, trying to get some value. Great fight for Brendan Lofnane, well earned. And then the final fight of the night, Kayla Harrison versus Larissa Pacheco. I hope y'all listened. We had Larissa Pacheco money line plus 480 for the win. So for the PFL Friday, we were up 4.41 units. We went 6-5 with our bets and our going back for more bets went one for one. The Homesaw Perfect Plate parlay for the PFL, Magomed, Magomed Karimov money line, Nathan Schult money line, and Ante DeLiha money line plus 108 cashed as a win as well. Let's go over verdict and give out some podcasts. Another weekend, another medal for us on Verdict. On Friday, we got ourselves a bronze medal. Unfortunately, I was busy during the live action of the pay-per-view. I had to catch up to it later. I was at a wedding, so I wasn't able to judge each round, so I missed out on a lot of points. Uh, Besides picking the winner correctly, the method correctly, the round correctly, you also earn points for participating in real time and scoring each round. So we got a bronze medal, I think I probably would have had silver if I had done that because it was a lot of fights, there were also a lot of rounds, but that's okay, we'll take any medal that we can get. The podcast was also awarded our Purple Belt Promotion in the app, so very excited about that. But with that bronze medal, we were in the top 60% of predictions on Verdict, and we will look to keep the ball rolling into this Saturday. Now for the Homestyle MMA Podcast Awards, we only gave out one PFL award kind of wish I was doing more than one for this past Friday, but we're going to keep it consistent at least through the end of this year. And our Mashed Potatoes PFL Performance of the Night is going to go to Brendan Lofnane, because that fight was very close from an odd standpoint. It was a very close fight in real time, and he found a way to get the finish in the championship rounds. I thought it was well fought, hard fought. I thought it was the closest matchup. Really just an excellent fight for him. So that covers the PFL for this past Friday, but now I'm going to go ahead and do a PFL wrap-up for the year, as they have no more fights on schedule for 2022. Man, I love the PFL. That finishes our PFL year. I think it's an outstanding system. I think the regular season, playoffs and the $1 million champion fights, they're just phenomenal. Very exciting. It gives fighters the chance to make more money than they maybe ever would in other organizations. You have to be the most elite in other organizations to win that amount of money. We also crushed the PFL this year on the podcast. We finished the year up 6.78 units on PFL fight betting on our single bets and our PFL homestyle perfect plate parlays finished up another 2.33 units so all in around nine units we were up in the pfl for our single bets we had a record of 13 and 10 i did a really good job picking out underdogs this year i tried to keep doing that in the championships and our pfl parlays were actually three and one can't wait for more pfl action next year like i said i think it's a great alternative for mma fighters today i think it's an exciting system it keeps getting better year over year And now we have a great storyline for next time. We're going to have to do Larissa Pacheco versus Kayla Harrison 4 in the future someday. I would love for that to happen in another championship fight. But we'll see what the PFL has in store for us. There's some great fighters over there. Definitely make sure you tune in next year for the PFL. uh, As they begin their season next year, as they start to get the ball rolling, I will let you know some dates you should keep in mind for the PFL if you want to get in on the action next year. But that wraps up the PFL. Let's take a look at the UFC. So our UFC, again, we're looking back on Saturdays here, starting with the prelim matchups. This is actually a pretty massive card for a UFC fight night, so hang in there with me. The prelims are going to start at 7 o'clock Eastern Time. Now start us off with Yasmin Jauregui versus Estela Nunez. Nunez is an inch taller, has 2 inches in reach advantage. She lost her only two UFC appearances with her last win coming in July of 2018, fighting in one championship. Yasmin is undefeated at 9-0 and she won her UFC debut in her last fight. This should actually be a pretty exciting fight, because both women prefer to strike instead of wrestling or fighting on the mats. Yasmin Yaregi will have a slight advantage if the fight does hit the ground, I think, since Estella has two submission losses. Estella Nunes was wrestled to a loss in her last fight and was submitted before that. I'll probably stay away from this fight from a betting perspective, as I think the odds should be much closer but I am leaning Yasmin Jaregi to win. Following that fight is Marcelo Rojo versus Francis Marshall. <clears throat> These are similar sized fighters, but with different fighting styles. Marcelo Rojo lost his only two UFC appearances, one by knockout and the other by submission. He's six and five by submission. And that will be the problem here when facing Francis Marshall. This is Francis's UFC debut after earning a spot in the UFC on Dana White's Contender Series. In that fight, Francis completed 6-for-10 takedowns with almost 6 minutes of control time. I don't think that Marcelo will be able to handle the wrestling aggression from Francis, and I think that Francis could find a submission on the ground with 4 of his 6 wins coming by submission as a pro. Nathan Levy versus Genaro Valdez. These are similar sized fighters. Nathan Levy earned a spot on the roster with a submission win on Dana White's contender series, followed that up with a decision loss, in his UFC debut and a decision win in his last fight. Valdez had a knockout win on Dana White's contender series and lost his UFC debut by knockout in his last fight. In that fight Valdez was knocked down 4 times in a very tough loss. Both fighters can typically and will typically mix in some wrestling. Nathan Levy does well with his offensive wrestling. He was out-wrestled in his UFC loss. My only concern is how beat up Valdez was in his last loss, getting knocked down four times. I think if his chin can hold up, he has a few more ways to win because he is a very active fighter from an output perspective. Lots of takedown attempts, lots of significant strikes. So I'm looking for Valdez to rebound from his only pro loss. That takes us to Tracy Cortez versus Amanda Ribas. Interesting matchup here for the prelims. There were a lot of UFC newcomers up to this point, but here we have some UFC veterans. Tracy Cortez is actually the number 13 ranked women's flyweight, and Amanda Rebos is the number 15 ranked women's flyweight. Tracy Cortez is on a 10-fight winning streak, with five of those coming in the UFC. Eight of her 11 pro fights have gone to a decision. Rebos lost her last fight, and she is 5-2 in the UFC only two losses in the UFC were against number three-ranked Caitlyn Chukagian and number five-ranked strawweight Marina Rodriguez. <clears throat> Both fighters are well-rounded MMA fighters who will utilize wrestling into their MMA game. This fight will come down to who can wrestle the best and control the fight. Rebos, I think, will be the better striker, and Cortez maybe has the slight advantage with wrestling. It's going to be really close. What will matter is if Reboss's striking can create better wrestling opportunities for herself? Can she follow her striking into wrestling takedown attempts? Cortez has been wrestled and controlled before in the past, so while she is dominant with offensive wrestling, she can be wrestled and controlled herself if she ends up in bottom position. I think both fighters are so skilled and there's so much wrestling potential in this fight that this fight will go the distance, but I am going to give the slight edge to Amanda Rivas due to her strength of schedule. Our next fight is Darren Elkins versus Jonathan Pierce. Jonathan JSP Pierce is 2 inches taller and he won his last fight by knockout and he's on a 4 fight win streak. 14 of his 17 pro fights have ended by finish and he has 9 knockout wins, many of which came via ground and pound as JSP averages 6.75 takedowns per fight. Elkins won his last fight and he has won 3 of his last 4. Elkins is not shy about wrestling either, though, so this should be an interesting matchup. Ultimately, I think that JSP is the more skilled fighter on the ground, and I think that he can get the ground-and-pound victory if he can work his way to top position on the ground. If it stays on the feet, I do think JSP is also going to be the faster and harder-hitting striker as well, so I just see too many ways for JSP to walk away with the win. Next up is Michael Johnson versus Mark Giacchesi. These fighters are the same size, but two fighters headed in different directions. Michael Johnson lost a split decision his last time out and won his previous fight, but that ended a four-fight losing streak. Michael Johnson struggles with wrestling, and he's about to see a lot of that from Jacqueza, who averages 3.68 takedowns per fight. Jacqueza is on a two-fight win streak, and in those two wins, he totaled 19 for 29 on his takedowns, and 26 minutes of control time. 26 minutes of control time out of 30 total fight minutes. This is not a fight to overthink. Mark Casey will win this fight with his wrestling. He has not had a finishing win in a long time, so maybe this will be his chance to make a statement for the fans and find a finish. Clay Guida versus Scott Holtzman follows that fight. Two older fighters in this one, with Clay Guida coming in at 40 and Holtzman at 39. Guida lost his last fight by submission, and he's 2-4 in his last six fights. Holtzman lost his last two fights by knockout against some pretty strong competition. Both fighters have fought for a long time in the UFC, and therefore have faced strong competition lately. In each of those two losses for Holtzman, he was just blitzed by his opponents and was completely outstruck. I'm staying away from this one from a betting standpoint. I don't like to bet on older fighters, and Guida has also been in a crazy number of pro MMA wars with 56 total pro fights. That is a lot of damage, and he's an older fighter. I don't like that mix. Scott Holtzman did take off plenty of time to allow himself to recover from those knockout losses with his last fight coming in April of 2021, but I don't know if that will equate to octagon rust as well or not. So he took the time off, let his brain heal, but it's kind of the balance of what's too much time, where you have octagon rust, you haven't fought for a while. I don't know, really tough fight. I am leaning Scott Holtzman to win, but like I said, I'm staying away from this fight and just going to sit back and enjoy it and just watch it. Angela Hill versus Emily Ducat. This will be a fun fight. I mean, straight up, this will be a fun fight. Angela Hill is an all-action striker, and Emily Ducat is a former multiple-time Invicta FC world champion who also has a high-volume striking attack. Angela averages 5.36 significant strikes landed per minute, while Ducat averages a massive 7.73. Angela won her last fight to end a three-fight losing skid. It was a very close fight, but well-earned win for Angela Hill. Emily Ducat won her UFC debut against the former title challenger, Jessica Penne, and she did so with an incredible 116 significant strikes landed in those 15 minutes. Ducat is on a four-fight winning streak, and I see no reason for that to end here. Look for Emily Ducat to get in an absolute brawl barn burner with Angela Hill, but she will ultimately outlast Hill and inflict massive damage. Our final prelim fight is Nico Price versus Phil Rowe. Phil Rowe comes in three inches taller and with a a four-and-a-half-inch reach advantage. All nine of Phil Rowe's wins have been by finish. He won his last two fights by knockout after dropping his UFC debut by decision. This is going to be a great battle to end the prelims. Phil Rowe, he's got a ton of power with his striking and he can find a knockout with one punch. But Nico Price is an absolute warrior. He's coming off of a win that ended his three fight winless streak. Price doesn't wrestle a ton, but he'd be wise to do so in this one. Rowe has been controlled on the ground in several fights in the UFC. But he always manages to find his knockout punch on the feet very often, hence all the finishes as a pro. I think Nico Price can take some of the big punches from Rowe, but I'm going to gamble that he will use more wrestling than he typically does, which is a path to victory in this one. This will be an all-action fight that can end literally any second, so do not look away. Nico Price will likely have to walk through fire at times in this fight, but I think that he will walk away with his hand raised. That covers the UFC prelims. Let's take a look at the UFC main. The UFC main card matchups are starting at 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern time with Eric Anders versus Kyle Dawkus. Dawkus is two inches taller. He lost his last fight by knockout, but he is incredibly skilled on the ground with nine of his 11 wins by submission. That is where he wants to get the fight in order to win. In his last win, Eric Anders used a ton of wrestling, and he might not be able to rely on that against Dawkus because that would be putting himself in danger. Anders likes to mix in takedowns, even if it is just to get the fight against the cage, so that he can then use his size to wear down opponents. I just think that this is a fight where Kyle Dacus will welcome any opportunity that he can to put his hands on Eric Anders and work for submission. I think Kyle Dacus will win this fight, but he will likely need to get the fight to the ground to do so. Jack Romanson versus Roman Dolitze. Late addition to the card, but a really a great fight. Jack Romanson is the number 8 ranked middleweight in the UFC. Delise is on a three-fight win streak, with his last two fights by knockout. Jack won his last fight, but has won three of his last five. Another interesting matchup because Roman Delise will use a pretty wrestling-heavy attack, but Jack Hermanson is very good on the ground and can find submissions. My concern for Jack Hermanson is that he may be too accepting of being taken down, and if he gets stuck on the ground and can't find the submission, Roman Delise will control him there land ground and pound, and score points. I think Dolizzi will have the advantage on the feet, as well as in the striking. And it's just, you know, Hermansen, he's got some wacky striking from odd angles as well, but Dolizzi will throw some good jabs that I think will find their mark. I think Roman Dolizzi will get the biggest win of his career in this fight. Next up, this fight just absolutely shocks me. <clears throat> Taitu Ivasa versus Sergei Pavlovich. What an incredible fight. At heavyweight. Number 4 ranked Taitu Ivasa taking on number 5 ranked Sergei Pavlovich. How this isn't the co-main event of this fight is beyond me. How it's not on a pay-per-view is beyond me. Sergei is 1 inch taller and has 9 inches in reach advantage. Don't be shocked if this fight doesn't go past one round. Taitu Ivasa is not afraid of anybody. He has taken on some of the hardest and most skilled strikers in the heavyweight division. Including knocking out Derek Lewis two fights ago and losing to Cyril Ghosn in his last bout. That loss ended his five-fight knockout win streak, and he has 14 knockouts in his 15 pro wins. Meanwhile, Sergei Pavlovich is on a similar streak with four straight first-round knockout wins with the last one over Derek Lewis as well. Sergei has 13 knockouts in his 16 pro wins. This fight ends by knockout. All of these stats just to tell you Someone's going to sleep. I don't think this fight even leaves the first round. Neither fighter goes for takedown, so do not blink as these warriors meet in the middle of the octagon and start throwing bombs. They start throwing haymakers at each other. I love Tituivasa. I think he's a great fighter and an even better guy. But I've been on the Sergei Pavlovich train since 2019. I know you guys have heard me talk about him on the podcast. I told you he hits too hard. I would love to see him go up against Francis Naganu someday. He's a beast, and in a striking-only battle, that reach advantage he has will be massive. Sergei mostly uses boxing combos in his, ta- his attacks, while Tuivasa will throw in some kicks as well. It's just going to be a wild fight for as long as it lasts. So enjoy it while you can. Like I said, I think it's going to be under five minutes. Both fighters have one-punch knockout power. Unfortunately for Tuivasa, I think that he will get caught trying to close the distance in this one. And Sergei Pavlovich will continue his first round knockout win streak. Next up is Mateusz Nikolaou versus Matt Schnell. Another high ranked matchup here with number 6 ranked flyweight Mateusz Nikolaou taking on number 7 ranked Matt Schnell. Schnell is 2 inches in height and 4 inches in reach advantage. He won his last fight by submission, and he has only won two of his last five fights. Nikolaou has won five in a row, including three in a row in the current UFC stint. I don't love this fight from a betting perspective. I think these fighters are actually very fairly evenly matched, even though the odds might not necessarily agree. Mateus Nicolaou should win this fight, but Matt Schnell is crafty on the ground with jiu-jitsu. Because of all this, I'm going to go fight to go the distance, I think, because I'm not sure that Schnell will find a submission in this one. So we're just going to go fight to go the distance. I think Mateus Nicolaou will likely win. Our co-main event, Brian Barberina. Versus Rafael dos Anjos. I am a little skewed for RDA. Rafael dos Anjos. Uh, He was I believe the first matchup. That we previewed on the podcast back in July. But uh, anyways. Just a little extra history for you about the podcast. Brian is four inches taller. And he's a two and a half inch reach advantage. RDA is moving up in weight for this fight. He's fought at the Walter weight weight class before. But he had dropped down to lightweight for a little while. And he's in for this war. Eight of his last nine fights have been five-round fights or main events. He lost his last fight by fifth-round knockout, but he's only won two of his last five. RDA is a veteran of MMA. He has skill in all aspects of the sport. Barbarina won his last fight by knockout and is on a three-fight win streak. This fight is fairly straightforward to me. I think that Barbarina will have the better striking, but RDA will be just... Absolutely dominant if the fight hits the ground. Barbarina has been susceptible to takedowns in the past, and RDA can likely get him down and keep him down. This fight's simple. If it stays on the feet, I think Barbarina could win. If the fight hits the ground at least once in two of the three rounds, then RDA will win those rounds. It'll be interesting to see RDA in a three round fight as well, because it's been a long time since we've seen that, and he's really going to be able to push his pace potentially be very aggressive with his wrestling knowing that he has two less rounds to get through since he's been fighting in five round wars and this one's only three i think both fighters are very durable so i think it will go the distance with rda getting his hand raised due to sheer aggression with his wrestling and that takes us to our main event Our UFC main event is simply a fantastic main event with two extremely talented and crafty strikers. We have the number 6 ranked welterweight, Stephen Thompson, taking on the always exciting Kevin Holland. Holland is 3 inches taller and has a 6 inch reach advantage. Neither fighter will particularly go for takedowns. So this will be a karate Stephen Thompson versus kung fu Kevin Holland stand up fight which will be very fun to watch and very exciting for the fans. Fans love to see guys go out there, do crazy spinning attack kicks, crazy punches. That's what this fight's going to be. Then Kevin Holland will have the advantage on the ground if the fight does end up there at all. And at 39 years old, I unfortunately think that this fight will not go the way of Steven Wonderboy Thompson. He's lost his last two fights, while Holland lost his last fight as well. That did end his two-fight win streak. I do think this fight will go the distance with each fighter having their moments of success, each fighter landing, some kind of flashy, phenomenal strike. But I think that Kevin Holland will have more big moments and maybe a little bit of success on the ground to get the decision win. I think if Kevin Holland does start to fall behind, he knows he can take this fight to the ground and probably win that round. And ultimately, I think he can come back. It'll be interesting. Definitely interesting fight. There's going to be a lot of flashy strikes. Uh, It should be very interesting. Look for Steven Thompson to throw some of his legendary kicks. I mean, the guy kicks like crazy, but Kevin Holland's an incredible striker as well. Very crafty. This is just going to be a fun fight. It's going to be a fun fight for fans to watch. It's a fun main event. It's a good UFC fight night main event because it will be exciting. That wraps up our UFC card, all of the fights for the night. Let's take a look at our bets. As always, please bet responsibly. If you have a gambling problem, call your state's hotline. Starting off with the UFC prelims, Yasmin Jaregi vs. Estela Nunez. We're not betting this one as a podcast. I am leaning Yasmin Jaregi if you are so inclined. Marcel Orojo versus Francis Marshall. We went Francis Marshall money line minus 165. Nathan Levy versus Gennaro Valdez. We went with Gennaro Valdez money line plus 150 as an underdog. Tracy Cortez versus Amanda Ribas. I think Amanda Rebos will win. I don't have the line available yet, but I want to look at fight to go the distance. I like that much more because I think it will be a very wrestling-heavy fight. So check out social media. I'll post which one we grab once I have that line available. Darren Elkins versus Jonathan Pierce. We went with Jonathan Pierce, JSP by knockout, plus 175. Michael Johnson versus Mark Jacacy. We went with Mark Money Moneyline, minus 300. So we went ahead and made that a going back for more two-unit bet. Clay Guida versus Scott Holtzman, another one that we're not going to bet, but I am leaning Scott Holtzman if you agree with that. Angela Hill versus Emily Ducott, We went with Emily Ducat Moneyline minus 125 as a going back for more two-unit bet. In our final prelim matchup, Nico Price versus Phil Rowe. We went Nico Price Moneyline minus 145. For our UFC main card matchups, Eric Anders versus Kyle Dawkins. We went Kyle Dawkus, Moneyline, minus 225. That's a little bit big to me, but I do think he wins. I just think it's a closer fight than that, so it's a little bit concerning. Uh, Jack Hermanson versus Roman Delitze. We went Roman Delice, Moneyline, plus 165 as the underdog. Tai versus Sergei Pavlovich. I'm not getting off the train here. I mean, I love Tai but we went Sergei Pavlovich, Moneyline, minus 220. Going back for more two-unit bet. I'm sorry, but the guy's just on fire right now, and I'm not, I don't think he stops here. Mateus Nicolau versus Matt Schnell. Fight to go the distance at minus 105. Brian Barberina versus Rafael Dos Anjos, RDA. I think RDA wins, but we went with fight to go the distance at minus 175 because RDA was a pretty big favorite. And then we finished the night with Steven Thompson versus Kevin Holland. We went with Kevin Holland, money line minus 157. For the Homestyle Perfect Plate Parlay. We went with Jonathan Pierce Moneyline, Mark Giacchese Moneyline, and Sergey Pavlovich Moneyline for plus 135. That covers our bets. Let's go ahead and wrap up the podcast. As always, please bet responsibly. If you have a gambling problem, call your state's hotline. I'll be posting my verdict scorecard predictions prior to the events on social media for the podcast, as well as those couple alternate lines that we're waiting to get released, so check those out. Go follow at the Homestyle MMA Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, and at Homestyle MMA Pod on Twitter. Check out the Homestyle MMA Podcast dot podbean dot com for additional information about the podcast. We're going to keep growing on social media, guys. We're doing pretty well with engagement. It's been a lot of fun. Um, Definitely, if you disagree or agree with anything at all, please feel free to engage with the podcast. I do not mind one bit. If you disagree, I'd almost prefer that. I'd love to know what you think will happen, and we will see who can come out on top. So go ahead and send that challenge my way. Uh, I love talking MMA, so at any point, feel free to get involved. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe, like, comment, and review. Next week, we'll do a rapid recap from this card and preview the final UFC pay-per-view of the year, UFC 282, Bukovic versus Ankalaev for the light heavyweight title. As always, till next time, this was Sean Van Buren on the Homestyle MMA podcast. Y'all have a good one.